What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. Well, with a podcast title like that, I'm not sure I need to provide much more of an introduction this week. Yes, that's right. On this week, I'm going to be diving into the question on everyone's mind, and that is whether or not there is another property crash coming, and are we safe? So buckle up and get ready as we dive into the episode. You are listening to Behind the Facade, the number one podcast for investing with a particular focus on real estate and property investment. I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and your behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. All right, guys, you've read the title and you've seen the thumbnail. Today, I want to tackle the question that should be on everybody in the real estate or property industry's mind, and that is whether we are heading for a crash or and are we safe to carry on doing what we're doing? Now, if like me, you were a bit of a news junkie, then you may be struggling with you know, making sense of all the conflicting news and data. Now, I spoke about this just two episodes back and episode number 89, when I covered the uh, prediction by Elon Musk that the market will crash in Q1 or Q2 of this year, 2022, and no later than 2023, according to Elon. At the same time, the real estate market is having one of its best years ever. And I was just looking at the uh, papers over the weekend and over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, they're predicting for this to carry on. They're not suggesting that there's any kind of a slowdown on the cards. And so values are up, demand is sky high, and it all looks like it's going to continue. So what should we throw caution to the wind and just drive on as we have been? Well, not so fast. I think, as I've recommended before, it's always a good idea to kind of step back for a minute and step back from the hype and the headlines and just try to make some unemotional assessments based on sound sort of investment philosophy and advice. Now, of course, I got to preface this by saying this should not be taken as investment advice, merely the opinion of a fellow investor. I could be wrong. So go and do your own due diligence. Now, everywhere I look at the moment, I'm seeing the word inflation. And that is bad, right? Uh, Yeah, inflation is bad. And if you go back to the podcast episode 61, um, you will, I actually got into that in a lot more detail. But then we often hear the advice that real estate is generally a good hedge against inflation. So in that case, shouldn't we be investing in real estate? It's not as simple as that. Um, I mean, it is true that uh, it is a good hedge against inflation, but that doesn't necessarily you know, mean that this is a buying signal. And why do I say that? Well, because when you kind of get into the, the drivers of the market, everything is looking healthy, everything is looking strong, but affordability is something that does impact um, property prices and real estate prices. 
And as soon as you start looking at interest rate increases, you are looking at a adjustment to the numbers in the uh, in the property prices and things like that. And that's just simply a factor of the mathematical equation. If you're looking at a property and it's producing you know X amount of rent, you look at the amount of money that you have put aside, how much that you can borrow from a bank or an investor or whatever it is, and that gives you a, you know, there's a plus and a minus, there's an X and a Y, and you just subtract, and if there's something left over, then you're looking good. If there's nothing left over, then it means you have to put either more cash into the deal or you simply can't afford to go after that property. If you can't afford to go after that property, then you have to look at the other ones that are cheaper and it kind of, everyone is pushed into the same boat and everyone starts looking at cheaper properties. And so it kind of drives down the price of the market. And um, if you're gonna be looking at inflation, um, you know, trying to hedge your inflation and thinking that that makes it a buy recommendation, I think you just gotta be a little bit careful about that kind of mentality. Um, at the moment, the market is pretty hot. I mean, certainly here in this country, when I'm looking at properties for sale on the uh, the various portals and stuff, you go out there and the prices are, um, you know, they're they're putting a guide price of something, and and it, the the actual price that's being achieved might be double that. And I've been seeing, depending on the size, you know, what where in the market you're looking at. But certainly at the kind of the lower end of the market where a lot of kind of novice investors would be going, you could have 50 or 60 people bidding on a single property. And so that by definition is just going to drive up the price because you've got more people that will push harder to kind of secure that property. Now, I've seen um, over the years, you know, real estate does provide you with a good hedge against inflation but you provided you got it at the right price and provided your debt levels are manageable so the way i would sort of say it is that if you've already got real estate in your portfolio then you're looking good you've got a good hedge against inflation but if you're going out now and buying it in a heated market then you could well overpay for the property now i've seen during periods of high inflation, the central banks or in the US, you've got the Federal Reserve, they are going to be forced to push up interest rates. And that is, you know, all of the videos that I'm seeing out there, all of the newspapers that I'm reading, they're all talking about the same thing, that there's going to be, initially they were talking about this inflation is transitory. Recently they came out and said that it's we made a mistake, it's not transitory it is actually higher and more embedded than we expected. And so they're kind of said, you know, we're probably gonna to have to do three rate hikes this year. Now, after a couple of weeks of that, it's starting to sink in. And I've seen some of the, uh, the big names out there saying that there could be as many as seven rate increases coming along. And so all of a sudden you're starting to think, hmm, this could well spook the market first of all. And already prices have, you know, fallen off uh, quite strongly in some of the high growth kind of stocks. But what it will do is it could just make property prices, if there is an interest rate hike in order to sort of stave off inflation, then it is going to make property prices, first of all, it makes them less affordable. And I've actually read somewhere that for every 1% increase in the interest rate, 
you can have a corresponding fall of about 10% of value. Now, I'm not sure that applies here in the Irish market, but certainly in the US market, I've heard that. Then in addition to that, the increased rates that you're paying um, is going to just mean that your, your payments to service the debt increase, um, which reduces the amount of profit. Um, now, most of the time when people invest, they don't want to be putting more money into the deal. They want there to be a nice little profit rent that they can actually put into their pocket every week or that they can put aside for you know, refurbishment or for maintenance or whatever it might be. If the interest rate starts to drift up, you might have a situation where that is no longer the case. And you are now looking at a situation where you're having to put your hand in your pocket just to service the debt and you've still got all of those maintenance expenses to do as well. So now let's have a look at some of the facts and just what do we need to be cautious of? First of all, you've got to be cautious of the fact that there is an awful lot of sensationalism out there. Newspapers do it. Uh, and you'll also see it in YouTube videos and things like that. It, there's an old saying, if it bleeds, it leads. And the media are just notorious for sensationalizing any kind of uh, bad news. And, you know, if you are unnerved by headlines, you are more likely to kind of pay attention and read that newspaper a little bit longer. Stay, And it's, it's all actually triggered by a small gland inside your brain called the amygdala. And it dates back to kind of prehistoric times when um, when we were living on savannas and in caves and stuff and this was a kind of protection mechanism that the brain had but it's still there today and if we read a headline that says something like the word crash or if we see something that you know somebody has you know if there's for example Russia and Ukraine there's there's talk about potential war that will sell newspapers and so you've got to be careful of that. Now, the same is true on YouTube. You just have to look at the titles and thumbnails on some channels to just see the amount of sensationalism. And that is, it's basically clickbait. And you'll see thumbnails where there's flames and there's like the dollar kind of being burned and there'll be the big word crash in the middle in red and there'll be a, the word, this is the end coming, you know, all these kind of sensationalism. Now, in fairness, I'm a bit guilty of that today, this week, with my own uh, title of the video or title of the podcast. But the next thing you have to consider is cognitive bias. And with cognitive bias, I spoke about this in episodes 20 and 31 of the podcast. I looked in quite a bit of detail, but there's two particular ones that just come to mind straight away. And one is confirmation bias. And if you are looking at, you know, all of these newspaper headlines and stuff, and if you are reading them and it's kind of causing you to kind of perk up and, and take notice and stuff like that, you've just got to be careful that you are evaluating the facts and the figures and the data in an unemotional way. And you're not allowing any kind of confirmation bias to slip in. A confirmation bias is where you already have an idea of what it is you believe you all and, and all you're doing is you're going out there looking for something that supports the decision that you've already made so if you've already made a decision to buy something you'll be out there looking for positive news that will actually support that decision if you're feeling a bit nervous from all the headlines and you decided that the market looks a bit too toppy and a bit too risky that will force you to go looking for headlines 
and looking for information that will support the decision you've already made not to invest. And this is something that we just do naturally, but it is something that actually, if you can just sit back and kind of analyze things in an unemotional way and just try to kind of remove yourself from the decision making and kind of go, am I guilty of, have I already made up my mind here? Or is this something that I'm genuinely seeing the risks or I'm genuinely seeing the, the positive kind of signals? The second thing that comes to mind is framing bias. And this is especially the case in my uh, last episode or episode number 89, where I mentioned that Elon Musk was predicting a crash. Now, Elon, clearly, you know, the richest man in the world, he is seen as an authority figure. His success and his, you know, the fact that he's built these amazing companies. I mean, he's an impressive guy. There's an absolutely no question. Uh, and if he told you, like, honestly, if he told you that, Investing whilst standing on one leg is likely to produce, you know, increased success rates. I am not, I, I don't doubt there would be thousands and thousands of people out there hopping around making buy orders on their phone. Um, it's just the way it is. Like people automatically assign extra weight to the advice that they get from an authority figure. And somebody like Elon is an authority figure. So if he tells you you should buy Dogecoin or you should buy Bitcoin or whatever it is, you'll notice straight away there's a spike in those prices. But there's actually nothing underlying in it. It's just simply everyone using that framing bias to just jump on the phone and start buying. The reality is that he knows nothing more than anyone else. And um, although he can clearly move the market with whatever he says, there's nothing underlying. So if you're the same advice came, you know, from your uncle or your your grandmother or something like that, you'd kind of just poo-poo it. You'd be like, oh, come on, you know, don't um, don't annoy me with these kind of old kind of bits of advice and stuff. But when it comes from Elon, the exact same words out of his mouth as came out of your uncle or your grandmother's mouth, suddenly you actually take note. And that is called framing bias. Now, I can tell you back in 2008, there was an awful lot of, there was the rich list we used to get here in the newspaper once a year. And there was a whole lot of names on that rich list. And if you have a look today, the vast majority of those names no longer feature anywhere on the rich list. And there is at least 10 or 15 people that were at the very top of that list who since went bankrupt. And those people believed absolutely that they were right. They believed that their strategy for very high leverage, very high debt, all of that kind of stuff was the right way to go about it. And they were huge property investors. And look at them today. They all ended up kind of crashing down in a very dramatic way. So what do I personally think is going to happen? Well, remember, again, I am just another investor with an opinion. Don't allow your mind to frame my advice as like, don't use framing bias for me. I'm infall I'm I'm not infallible. Like I've made mistakes. I've screwed up before. I could do it again. This could be, you know, the wrong this could be the wrong advice. However, I'm gonna tell you what I think. And I gotta tell you, I do feel a little bit nervous, not so much about the property market, but about the investment market in general. And I've been getting vibes for the last while that I kind of felt just before the 2008 crash, not just before, a good year before. 
And in the case of the dot-com bubble crashing in 2000, I'm definitely getting that around the whole tech sector and stuff. And what you've got to remember, and this is something that people often forget, is that, you know, we talk about a crash, we talk about a bubble. And a lot of the time people think that a bubble pops and it's one single event that brings the entire market down and that's it, like bang, it's gone. But the reality is, is usually it's actually spread over months or even a year. And so what you can have is just this gradual loss of, you know, supporting sentiment. And then people start to kind of pull their money out and it slowly, slowly kind of starts to fall and drift away. And I've seen that um, I had investments back in 2000 in tech companies and you're watching it fall and you kind of think, oh, I'm sure it'll bounce back. And it never does. And it's terribly painful watching that happen. And it's only when it's gone way, way, way down that you realize you screwed up and it's too late to correct it. Same in the property market. Now, the problem with the property market is that there's a time lag. Like the stock market reacts instantly, like in microseconds, bad news is turned into sell orders. But the property market takes much, much longer for kind of bad news to circulate and to kind of filter down through. Now, having said all that, um, at the time in 2008, I can remember, I was very nervous. I actually knew there was a crash coming. Um, I was speaking to guys like my own colleagues in the office. I can remember some of them saying that there was no crash coming, that it would, it would be a bit of a downturn for no more than 18 months, and then everything would bounce back. And how wrong they were like and it turns out that um in 2000 as well there was a lot of people buying into the market you know the the old saying buy the dip and um, people buy the dip and then realize oh crap i've, I've screwed up here there's actually it's going to continue falling so that kind of thing can happen and you'll see these kind of mixed signals for the while for a while but you've got to just look at some of the kind of underlying facts the reality is is we have been in pretty much a bull market for the last 14 years, like 2008 until today's 14 years. And you have to wonder, like, can the market just continue to rise every single day, every single month, every single year in perpetuity? Of course not. There is always periods where there's a correction, where there's a downturn, where there's a crash. There's always something that brings it to an end. And uh, now don't get me wrong, as I have said, the property market is looking pretty strong. The drivers are pretty good, like demand, certainly here in the Irish market, which is the one that I'm operating in, so I know intimately, like demand is strong and it's not going anywhere. And supply is highly constrained. I mean, the planning system, the construction sort of techniques and the processes it's also slow that it takes time to deliver. And so the demand is there, the supply can't meet the demand. And so that is gonna to continue to kind of push things. The equilibrium will continue to be on the demand side rather than the supply side. However, you've gotta remember the affordability side and the fact that debt is involved in buying property. Now, to date, back in 2008, there was a huge amount of kind of crazy speculation going on and people were buying simply because they wanted to flip the property or they kind of thought 
I'll, I'll own it for two years and then I'll sell it for a big you know, profit or whatever. That has been quite uh, significantly reduced in this market. Um, central banks have introduced all sorts of rules around borrowing and stuff. It's funny, what, actually what's happened in China, the, the recent troubles in China with property prices, that is because they didn't have the restrictions that we brought in after 2008. Here in Ireland, you have to, the maximum you can borrow is three and a half times your earnings. In the UK, I believe it's four and a half times. I mean, that compares with sort of 25 and 30 times in the, in the Chinese market. So totally unsustainable prices. Here, at least, there has been some sense and some kind of control around the lending. And therefore, I don't see a huge crash happening. But, and the sound and the fundamentals are looking pretty good, certainly here in the Ireland and in the UK. But just that whole thing about the investment market, just don't forget that it's not just a property market. It's an investment market and it has many facets. And you've got stocks, you've got bonds, you've got crypto, you've got Nowadays, you've got like NFTs, all this kind of stuff. And those have all gone absolutely berserk in the last while. And they've gone through these, these to these record highs. And if you actually, I mean, if you go back to, I think it's like 1625 or 1675 or something like that, there's a thing called the Dutch tulip boom or bubble. And they the Dutch were selling tulips and somehow it got into people's minds that these tulips doubled in value and so everyone was buying them and tulip bulbs you know the small little bulbs you plant they were trading hands for as high as the price of property and um, suddenly people realized this was all kind of built on speculation and then the whole thing crashed completely crashed like back down to the price of pennies and NFTs and all of these kind of things, like they are untested and this could go through exactly the same thing. So you could see some of the stock market um, companies that support, you know, crypto. You could see those crashing down to kind of very, very low numbers. You can see them, um, Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin does seem like it's going to be here to stay. But having said that, like, what value does it have? I mean, it, it has a value that is seen by the other, by the person. You buy it, you know, confident that you can sell it to somebody else. But it doesn't actually produce a dividend for you. It doesn't, you know, you don't have anything underlying. and There's no underlying asset there that you can actually go out and touch or, or hold. At least when you buy stocks in a company, you own a small share of that company. And if that company makes a profit, you own a share of that profit. But these other sort of ones, now I don't want to sound like an old fogey who uh, who kind of doesn't get it, but I can see back in 2008 and 2000, and, um, two, back in 2000 in the dot-com, this is what happened. Suddenly people realized, whoa, there's no value here at all. And the things drop like a rock. And when that happens, you're going to find that investors are spread out over quite a lot of different assets. And like diversification is what's recommended. And it's a good thing, don't get me wrong. But if you have diversified your assets and you own, say, a percentage of your portfolio in crypto, percentage of your portfolio in uh, you know stocks and bonds and whatever it is, if one of those suddenly takes this massive downturn, that does impact your confidence 
and it kind of shakes the sentiment and the confidence of the market. And you can suddenly feel that instead of people having enough money to float around and put into the real estate, put in here, put in there, suddenly they're kind of holding back a little bit and they're deciding that they want a little bit more cash in the bank and they want a little bit more, um, you know, just want a little bit of a cushion. And so suddenly they're not spending money. Now, if you're over-concentrated in one asset, you can do really, really well in a rising market, but in a falling market, you can be absolutely decimated. And um, so you should always diversify. And that being the case, I think you're going to see if there is a massive sell-off in the stock market or something like that, my gut is that you will see it will impact sentiment around just investment in general. And um, I think it could cause... Actually, I've just been looking at the... the um, the NASDAQ in the US, and the NASDAQ is already 30% of the stocks in the NASDAQ are already down more than 50% since their highs of last year. And everybody, anyone who's into fitness as I am, you will have heard of a company called Peloton. And Peloton, uh, they make these amazing bikes that you can do exercise at home. And during lockdown, of course, massively in demand. Everyone was at home cycling on their home bikes and they were doing all this. And the company's value shot up hundreds of millions and um, it, and sure enough this year people are back going to gyms all this the market cap has fallen off in that in that company and peloton was just removed from the nasdaq the other day because it's no longer valuable enough to actually warrant a place on the market that just gives you one example so as sentiment dries up i just feel you're going to see a little bit of a softening in the property market like the drivers are still there the supply and demand equilibrium is not, you know, there's a there's a tension there that's going to remain. So I do think it will support the property market. But I do think you could have a softening of it. And just because you paid, you know, a price for a property today, it does not mean that you're going to get the same price for it tomorrow. You know, it may not crash, but it may fall and you could find yourself in negative equity. Now, the biggest worry, as I see it, is just inflation. Inflation is the major issue. The US just hit 7% and the UK is about 5.1% or something. And I just looked at the German inflation rate and that's 5.3%. Now you might be wondering, why do I mention the German inflation rate? Well, because Ireland is part of the euro and the euro, the central bank for the euro is the ECB. And the ECB is not going to be looking at Ireland's inflation rate when it's working out whether it needs to increase rates. It's going to be looking at the major economies, and that will be Germany and France primarily. And so those are the ones that are actually going to drive the decision to increase rates or not. And uh, so just bear that in mind. It may, you know, inflation might be under control here in Ireland, um, but it will actually be Germany or France that actually sort of influences whether or not the ECB adjusts rates. Now, as I say, the property market drivers are still pretty good. So I think the underlying market's going to remain good. I think people are going to still need homes in their thousands. So I don't think you're going to find the market falling off. But if the affordability starts to get impacted, if your interest rates have just gone up, you're going to find suddenly that you don't have that little extra cushion. And if you're going after a property, the price that you could have you could afford to pay at a certain interest rate is disappear has disappeared by the time the interest rate increases. So just make sure you don't paint yourself into a corner. Um, now, finally, before I close off on this, 
some of the things that you got to bear in mind, and this is these are things that can spook the market that you have no control over. The U.S. stock market, I've mentioned that. I'm not going to go on, but there's a there's an old saying: if the U.S. catches a cold, the rest of the world tends to get pneumonia. Then you've got the Chinese property bubble. Now that is, it continues to actually disimprove. And as I've been watching the um, market there, you're really starting to see some cracks ap uh, appear. And what I noticed was that the um, uh, even the companies that are considered strong companies that were kind of like the darlings of the market there are starting to come under now pressure. And whereas Evergrande was always kind of like highlighted as this kind of crazy debt levels, now the companies that were never highlighted for any of those risks are suddenly coming under pressure. And then you've got to remember, Russia is currently amassing 100,000 troops on the border of Ukraine. And, uh, you know, depending on which newspaper you read, it does look like there's quite a strong or a high risk of something happening there, like whether it's all-out war or whether it's skirmishes or whatever but i just be thinking that it does look like there's a good chance that war could break out along the uh, you know the, the eastern european border uh, with russia and if that happens that could spook the market so you never know what it is that could actually turn the market kind of sentiment around and suddenly make everyone feel a little bit more nervous than they did and just that that can be enough to shift the way the market is looking um, I always try to, I always say, worry about the stuff that is in your direct control. Don't worry about the stuff that you don't have any direct control over. However, you do have to factor it into your kind of, your calculus. When you're looking at making investments, just make sure that, you know, can you fix the borrowing rate? Are you able to lock in your borrowings? If you can, then, you know, you're in a stronger position to actually know where you stand. But if you're going to leave them floating, you could well find yourself um, nursing some increases in the next year or two. And that could be quite painful. I've been through that. Um, also, just make sure your property is giving you a good return. You know, Depending on where you buy, you can find that there's very healthy returns in some parts of the country. Um, and there can be kind of pretty low returns in the cities. Now, it depends what your long-term objectives are. But if you're looking for a decent you know, margin on your on the money that you're making, then it's it's good to have sort of a healthy return. Um, if you're looking at city centre purchases, like if you're going to buy in central London or in you know the centre of Dublin, you can probably expect one or two percent return. I mean, it's it's pretty appalling. Um, but there's parts of the country you can go out to, and you know, fifteen percent is actually quite achievable. So just make sure you're factoring in the potential for increases in your borrowing rates. Um, and don't assume that you're going to be able to increase your rents. Don't assume that your prices are going to go up next year of your property. Don't, don't assume that the value will increase at all next year. I think what you should do is be running a couple of scenarios and sort of say, what if prices were to fall by 10%? Like most people would say, if the property price is, is possibly going to fall by 10%, then I, that I wouldn't buy it. If you knew that it was going to fall by 10%, would you continue to go ahead? You should just bear that in mind because one or two percent of an increase in interest rates could mean that your property is now 10 percent less than it was what that you paid for it try not to go for those deals that have a binary outcome you know in on the one hand if it all works out well you're a succeed you know you're a hero and you've done really really well but 
all it takes is for the rates to swing the opposite way and you're actually bleeding money and it's a complete loss for you. So just try to look for deals that maybe are a little bit less of that. And um, and the problem is, is the deals that have less of that are usually not as attractive looking, but they're the ones that will actually keep you in the game as opposed to getting knocked out. Uh, as I said earlier, just don't paint yourself into a corner. It's very easy to do. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you enjoyed the show or found it in any way useful, please take a moment to leave a review over on iTunes or alternatively share the episode out on social media or with a friend. This really helps the podcast reach more people. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via my Facebook group that's called Behind the Facade Community. And from now on, you're going to see me posting pretty much daily over on my YouTube channel, Gavin J. Gallagher. So do check out that out and become a subscriber over there. But if you're not a fan of YouTube, you can continue to stay up to date with all of the projects and stuff I'm working on by joining my tribe and becoming part of my email list. And you'll find that over at GavinJGallagher.com. All right, guys, that's all for now. See you back here next week.